There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. When we take control of our lives and our destiny. We're a small country, but we punch way above our weight. Like, I'm filming now at this place, to be honest with you. I thought it was one of the hardest things to do. It was horrendous. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Good morning, Fiona Corker and in for PJ Coogan on this Monday morning and unfortunately I think our recent spell of good weather has come to a devastating end. It's absolutely miserable out there this morning. Wayne Hilton was telling me here that he is just soaked through to the skin. So anybody who is up and about this morning, make sure that you have the umbrella with you and the raincoat. Um, I, I, I suppose I wanted to just start the show this morning by sending on behalf of the whole Opinion Line team here our condolences to the the Barry family this morning. We heard the devastating news over the weekend that seven-year-old Fionn Barry had passed away. Um, his mother, Brenda, has been on the show and has spoken to me several times about their fight for Fionn. He had uh, cerebral palsy and epilepsy and had been fighting a long battle and um, you know he was such a brave little boy and um, unfortunately he passed away over the weekend and he is being laid to rest today. So our thoughts are with the family and uh, I just wanted to say that this morning before we started the show now uh, we also um, were here yesterday cheering on the Cork Camogie players but it wasn't meant to be good morning Mary Rose Desmond Councillor Mary Rose Desmond you were acting Lord Mayor yesterday at the match I was indeed I was indeed Fiona there I was, I was uh, Deputy Lord Mayor and um, I took on the official duties for the Lord Mayor yesterday who was also in attendance um, with with his daughter in his private capacity there? Mm. But um, as I said, I I suppose represented the city um, at, at the match yesterday. It was great to be there. A great honour to, to to do so. Um, what was the atmosphere like? It was absolutely electric. I mean, I'm, I'm no stranger to Crow Park, and as a matter of fact, family wise, my mother would have very strong connections with 
Cork Colleges Camogie and uh, over the years so actually my first matches and all of my family's first matches would always have been up to the Camogie All-Ireland but there was a real excitement there yesterday and there was there was quite large attendance I don't know what the final number was but it seemed that even on the road up when we stopped we could see an awful lot of the red and white out on the road and a, a lot of, of people at the, at the stations at the stop, uh, as we stopped but I was I met the team as they came in last night they came in just before midnight last okay. night and I was, I was speaking to Linda Collins and she said that they noticed it on the pitch. And I suppose that's where we forget that it does make a difference, is that they really, really could feel that there was there, there was a large crowd there, there was a strong attendance both from Galway and, and Cork, but they, they said it was palpable to them actually uh, on the pitch. So it was it was good to know that we were we were making a difference. And how important was it to them to, to know that they had the support of uh, Cork behind them yesterday and that there were so many people had travelled up to there yesterday? I think like, it's a key part of sport and I suppose it's, it's what we've been missing for the last while is, is the, the, the crowd, you know, and, and what teams have been missing is the crowd cheering them on. It automatically makes a difference. It, it cheers them on. You could, you could feel the crowd um, swelling, particularly in the second half. You could really hear uh, the, the, the Rebels supporters getting, getting quite vocal um, in, in the stands yesterday. But they, I, I was speaking to a number of the girls and actually some of the younger members of the team um, who, who had said that they'd even been following... And I suppose this, I hadn't quite recognised this myself either. This is they've really been following the social media side of it and, mm. and kind of their first time lining out for Cork and their, their first time going to Crow Park um, for a final. And they said that it just meant an awful lot. And I, I, I went in yesterday evening and I really felt that, look, that I was the last person really the team wanted to, to, to meet. They were <laughs> disappointed. It, it was late at night. Um, mm. But that was not the reaction at all, actually. They, it, it quite surprised me. They just they said it, it, meant, it meant a lot that they knew officially that the city were there for them um, the, the whole way through but to see everybody out and, and watching the, the, the social media traction and that and even coming back down on the train it, 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 it makes a huge difference in any, in any sport And I mean it wasn't that they were hammered either I mean I know that Galway were the strongest team on the day but at one stage it looked like Cork was going to win after Katrina Mackey scored a goal in the second half Yes, indeed, Douglas is Katrina Mackey, um, and, and which beautifully set up in fairness by the, by the, by the captain uh, again, Linda Collins. But I, I, I think that was was the thing. It was a nail biting match right to the finish. Um, I, I was sitting um, near uh, my my, Gal- my Galway counterpart, um, and we we were really, as I said, you can kind of hear the vo- voice this morning. We were <laughs> we were giving it up. We were practically lining out from the stands. But um, no, it was a very close match, and it was it was tight. I mean, I, think there was, I don't think it ever went any. It went for as far as four points, I think, in the end. But like it was it was pretty much a two point match the whole way through. You know what I mean? That was, mm. it was as tight as that. And uh, Galway did have that edge um, at, at the whole time, and certainly had the hunger even after the court goal. Um, I suppose they had the, the, the steady determination having lost last year. That, and, and again, we were discussing that last night in the, in the train station. That you know, a, a loss can uh, you know trying to I suppose come back after winning losing last year's match. They had that grit to, to, to stick into the end. But our own team really fought hard, put their bodies on the line. I was saying to Ashley Thompson uh, as well yesterday mm. evening. They put the heart, soul, and, and, and body on the line um, the whole way. They didn't give up. Um, it certainly was a nail-biting match right to the finish, which is which, which is great from a spectator's point of view um, as well. Really, as I did say, it's, been, it's, it's a case of holding their heads high. Um, they're a young team as well. You know, there's, there's quite a few new um, young members to the team. Um, and I, I think they, 
I don't necessarily like saying, saying pride, but they really did do us, do, do us proud. They gave us a great championship, a fantastic win, probably maybe a little bit unexpected against Kilkenny in the semis. Yeah. So, um, you know, they, they, they were, they were, they really, really just kept fighting down, down to the final whistle yesterday um, and, and just felt short, unfortunately. Yeah, it was an unfortunate lose for them, but I suppose as well they've given Cork uh, young women a, a lot of hope as well. I mean, we hear often about um, you know young women not going into sport and not being encouraged to go into sports. So I suppose they're they're an inspiration to so many today. It, that's the important thing, and I think it's the important thing. And I mean, we've had such a good week to fortnight or the last couple of weeks with regards to to women's sport in particular and I, I think it's, it's, it's very very important and as I said it did appear to me that the numbers were, were in, in, increased at the match yesterday from what the normal attendance would be at a camogie final mm. and look to see the buses of, of young people going up from the different clubs on the road yesterday to see the amount of children that were there to see it was a real generational um, event and I really encourage uh, people to, to, to su- support women's sport like that I mean we, we had you see, young people grandparents as I said I was there with, with my mother um, and it was there was just a really really great atmosphere there it's, it is great for Cork sports to see it um, I mean we say it we say it in politics you know if you can see it you can be it and I think it's just so so important that um, that we attribute our female uh, sports stars mm. um, the, the, the same credit that we automatically give to, to the men and I, I, I think it's it's rightly and richly deserved they work hard for us they definitely do Councillor Mary Rose Desmond thank you so much for joining us on the show this morning and again commiserations to the team but you did us proud can we just talk the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 996. On Courts 96 FM. Welcome back, Fiona Corker in for PJ Coogan on this Monday morning. Now, uh, the, S- the HSE estimates that there could be as many as 14,000 children out of school as there were contact of a COVID case. It's a, such a huge number and it's such a, a worry for so many parents at the minute. And joining me now is CEO of ISME. Neil MacDonald. Neil, good morning. Good morning, Fiona. Neil, um, the, the burden for parents, obviously they're concerned about their children's health, but also when parents are working, it makes it very, very difficult if they have to stay at home when their children are you know, asked to stay at home and self-isolate. So ISME now is calling for antigen testing in school, is that right? Yes, absolutely, Fiona. And, and we're bearing in mind we're not back to a full return to work scenario. We are going into a controlled return to work from the 20th of September. Mm. Um, you know, realistically, we should have had a formal program of antigen testing in the workplace uh, and as soon as schools returned some time ago. Uh, but for whatever reason, there appears to be a level of official resistance to antigen testing. But what we're we're saying, and especially regarding the number of children um, that that you cited who are sent home, mm. at the moment they're being told uh, to stay away from school for ten days when the period of infectiousness is actually smaller. So what we're saying is bring in antigen testing, uh, test those children at home, at school or both, uh, and when they're no longer infectious, allow them straight back into the classroom. And for parents whose children has been told that they can't come back to school for 10 days and the, the parent is required to be in work, they can't really do their work from home, Like, what are their rights around that? I mean, do they then have to take sick days or do they have to use those days as annual leave days? 
Well, well, that really does depend. Uh, first of all, there, there are at the moment there are some of those parents uh, who who are working from home and uh, for whom the matter is not going to impact them at the moment. Um, thereafter, it really does depend on their contract of employment. Um, but typically, contracts of employment, uh, you know, beyond force majeure, they do not allow people to take, you know, what is effectively two working weeks off to look after a child. Mm. So, so that's why this issue really needs to be resolved quite quickly. Uh, we need NEFIS uh, and government um, to, to ensure that, you, you know, we're not forcing one or other parent uh, to stay at home for, t- for two working weeks simply because we don't have a, um, a, a working antigen testing uh, programme in place in schools. And I know it is a concern because I've had a conversation myself with a number of parents over the weekend about this particular issue, even me myself. I mean, I can't work from home. My husband can't work from home. We can't get anybody to mind the children if they've been told to stay at home. So it leaves parents in an awful situation. And I'm sure there are plenty of parents listening to the show this morning who are sitting at home looking at um, the the calendar for the week ahead saying, what am I going to do? And um, it is putting a huge burden on parents. Are you hearing that a lot from people? We we haven't heard it yet, Fiona. We've we've heard isolated cases of it, but you know, bear in mind we're talking, uh, you know, fourteen thousand uh, students, which is a lot, but has mm. a far larger uh, number of students. But we're we're going to get into kind of ordinary colds and flu season, um, and the advice in that case is not that people should uh, that children should go home for ten days. Yeah. We have a particular issue here now that we're dealing with a pandemic, um, albeit one that the the information and, and uh, that we have about this uh, coronavirus, it is not um, very dilatorious or uh, infectious among young people. It doesn't make them very ill, and many of them may actually be infected and not be symptomatic of anything. So for young people, and especially younger children, uh, this isn't really a very serious uh, disease at all. And that's yet another reason why we should be absolutely limiting the amount of time that they are required to spend uh, at home and out of school. School children have had a massive amount of disruption uh, in the last year and a half. And at this stage of the pandemic, we should be very far ahead in in how we we deal with someone coming into school with a, a snuffle or a cold. I suppose, though, that there are the there is the argument that, um, and there are discussions going on at the minute about the effects of long COVID on children. So even though they may not be particularly ill when they get it, they may be suffering the effects of it long term. So um, there but, is that argument. Long, as well. long COVID won't be affected one way or another, whether the child is at school or at home. Uh, and I, I know what, what you're referring to is the argument that. Um, you know that they won't be circulating with their schoolmates but yeah. the, the the difficulty with that argument is unless you're actually going to sequester that child in the home not not just during school hours but afterwards as well mm-hmm. um then then you've you've imposed an an educational and a social penalty on the child for no actual gain they're they're going to get it somewhere an effort is due to discuss allowing asymptomatic unvaccinated close contacts to remain in school. I think that discussion is meant to be happening this week. Um, do you think that they need to be, you know, having this discussion early in the week and, and relaying what they find to... Uh, 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 
Oh, yeah, I, I think we're quite fascinated by the notion that they haven't had this uh, conversation uh, before, you know, mm. because the, the rate of vaccination and, and let's, um, you know, let's be very clear about this. You know, Ireland's vaccination pro- program has been one of the great successes of um, our management of the COVID-19 pandemic. We've done a really, really good job. Mm. Uh, but in return for that now, and that has been a huge effort by state, we we need to see some of the rewards in society and in the workplace of having such a very high proportion of our of our adult population vaccinated, and this needs to be part of it. We we cannot be sending children home in droves uh, who are symptomatic of something, and we're not sure exactly what they have. Uh, when when we have uh, you know an, an EU list of approved 20 antigen tests that can be very quickly and cheaply administered either in the home or the school setting and we are we should not be sending children home who are not infectious with COVID-19. Okay, Neil MacDonald from Ismay, thank you very much for joining us on the Opinion Line this morning. How about you? Are you sitting at home this morning with a child who can't go to school because they've been a close contact and how is it affecting you? Let us know, 1850-715-999 or 0833-969696. Now, I'm not sure if anybody was reading that article in the Irish Mail on Sunday yesterday with regards to uh, the Fianna Fáil parliamentary thinking and um, the writer, Neil Walsh, severely criticised many of the, the female politicians in particular now she did take a, a slap at the at the male ones as well but just about their appearance and um, you know criticise some of them the way they dressed and the fake tan and the hair and the, the last season's outfit and um, you know I was just wondering what do you think of that? Do you think that because they're a politician and they're in the public eye that they're fair game for criticisms like that or do you think that we're now living in a world where it doesn't really matter or it shouldn't really matter what you wear that, you know, it's it's what you're actually doing. And, you know, we, we had, uh, we were talking about body confidence here the other day with uh, Sharon Huggard, the style coach, and about how a lot of women are going back to work in the office and they're maybe, um, you know, they, they need a little bit of a boost of confidence. So do you think that the days of criticising other people and uh, looking at what we're wearing are gone? Let us know, 1850 715 or 93 And one woman who is going back to work is Cleana Coleman. Good morning, Cleana. Good morning, Fiona. How are you? I'm very well. I'm very well. Thanks for joining us on the Opinion Line this morning. Cleana, you were at work for 15 years. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. Um, I haven't worked since 2006 when I had my first child. Hmm. So not not exactly. It wasn't the plan. (laughs) I didn't (laughs) think I wouldn't be working outside of the home for quite so long. But life life things happen so yeah I am I haven't worked since then and you you have three children now so it's not fair I suppose to say that you haven't worked because you have been working away at home very hard yeah, to job being a parent just, <laughs> yeah just just differently just differently not in an office environment is what I'd say um yeah, yeah, and quite on quite on my own with three kids, so it's 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 different different skills, different way of looking at things, definitely. And do you miss being out in the workforce then? Um, yes, I do. Um, I miss talking to adults most of the time, but apart from that, um, just doing something for myself. To be honest, Fiona is the main thing. Mm. Um, being me instead of being a mum or being a wife or just being the facilitator for everything. Um, so that's what I'm looking forward to about going back to work, just being me and 
not looking after everybody all the time. So mm. that's my main motivation for going back, finding myself again. You hear from a lot of people who have children and, you know, there is that whole struggle of trying to juggle the the being a mom and and being a, a career person and having a job outside of the home but you often hear people say that it gives them another identity it's their own identity which is what you're kind of yeah. describing there and it's important it, it's really important now i have to say being at home with the kids is mm. amazing as well and it's it's such a gift to be able to be at home with them and um, but like I am my own person I have my own mind and my own views and my own brain and I want to do something for myself and that that, it's so important I think and not taking from anybody who is perfectly content to be at home Mm. but after 15 years um, and it's time for me to go out again um, and start working and what is it that you want to do Now, that's the big question. And that is one of the reasons. Yeah, that is one of the reasons why I did the Growing Your Potential course with the Cork City Partnerships. Yes. Um, We, as a family, we lived abroad for quite a few years. Um, And then when we came back three years ago, I went, okay, it's time for me now. What do I want to do? And initially, I thought I was going to have to study something new Mm. and learn new skills. And then I was reading online and I saw the, the Cork City Partnership um, Growing Your Potential course. And I thought, OK, I'm going to give um, Siobhan O'Neill a call and see what this is all about. And it's just what it what the course did for me was it, it pulled out things that skills that I had all along that maybe I'd forgotten about and just had been using in a different way. So as to what I want to do, it has made me realise that I don't need to retrain to go in to do anything. I can just pull on old skills possibly. Mm. Um, And I'm no longer looking at courses that I need to study and become something, become a new profession or anything, which which is great. And have you started the course, the Return to Work course? Oh, yes. um, I finished it. I started it at the beginning of May. Yeah, Yeah. I started at the beginning of May and it finished mid-July. Okay. So, so um, now this kind of these last two weeks that the kids are back at school and everything, mm. I am um, really focusing on starting to look for a new role and taking control of my life again. And yeah. um, the course goes through things like CV preparation and interview techniques. Yeah. And I mean, like 15 years ago, they were very different for what they are now. Isn't that right? Um, yes, there's a lot more online going mm. on now which is why this course was so good because obviously due to COVID, everything was done through Zoom um, and it was all online meetings, which was just huge experience for me. I had never done, apart from having chats with my friends over Zoom during lockdown, I I had never actually spoken professionally online or anything. So that was all brilliant. And there's a lot of LinkedIn is something that wasn't around when mm. um, when I was working 15 years ago. So there's, there's a lot of new things, mostly around technology. But it's not hard to pick it up and it's not hard to learn once you have the confidence. And once you do a course similar to the Growing Your Potential one, you feel, actually, I can do it. Um, and yeah, for me, it was it was really good. But it, yeah, I used to work in recruitment. That's my background. OK, so I thought that, you know, this should be quite easy to go back and look for a job. But when you have to look at it, oh, it, 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 yeah, it has changed a lot. You mentioned there about confidence. Is that a big thing? Because, you know, if you've been out of the workforce for 15 years, um, you know, 
you're obviously a very confident and competent mom and housewife and whatever but you know to get back into the workforce it's a different kind of confidence that you need um, and, and a lot of people might be listening to this this morning and feel that they're maybe lacking that confidence to push themselves forward what kind of advice would you give to people um confidence is definitely a problem when mm. you haven't been out working there's no doubt about it you you're not used to speaking to people in a professional capacity anymore so my main advice would be to do something about it and pick up the phone and do a course on confidence even more than learning another skill or going into a new area of work. Mm. I think you need to self-reflect an awful lot and look at your skills and actually sit down, do almost a plan and look at your strengths, your weaknesses and work on it and work with it. Yeah. And this course really does help you look at yourself because I, I think when you're at home, you, you tend to just, you react to everything that's around you. Mm. Whereas if you start self-reflecting, you can be a little bit more proactive and be a little bit more successful and better at how you manage your time. Um, because when we're at home, we don't really take time out for ourselves. Yes, you might have a cup of coffee and sit down and listen to the radio or do something mm. like that. But it's not proper self-reflection time. And that you need that. You need to find yourself again to grow your confidence. That's that's what I think anyway. And I think when you're looking at your skills as well, you know, you might say, right, what skills have I got now to to make me, you know, a good applicant for this particular role. But yeah. like, you know, if you are at home, like you have obviously got multitasking skills and, yeah. you know, yeah. communication skills because you, you have to try and get through to uh, little ones, negotiation skills as well. So Absolutely. I suppose it's looking at things Conflict in a different way. management. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's definitely about looking at things in a different way, isn't it? Absolutely. I think... Um, we all have a certain set of skills and you have them for years and years and years. You just use them differently in different situations. Mm. Um, I love talking to people. Um, I love meeting people. I love finding out their story. And we just I just do that differently with my kids within the house. Yeah. Um, so it, it, the skills are always there. They're just kind of used differently and they can be a little silent for the years that you're in the house, I think. Um, and I, I don't even like saying in the house or in the home. It, it's such a, a tricky kind of word because in the course that we did, most of the women, um, we all had different circumstances. Um, some had kids, some didn't, but for different reasons, none of us had worked for a while. Mm. But we were all such strong, good women with really good brains, a lot to say and a lot of different views on different things with a lot to give. So um, the course was really, really beneficial just to bring people together like that to yeah. discuss it and realise, OK, I'm not the only one who has a lot to give, but doesn't know how to get back into the workplace. Brilliant. Thank you very much for joining us, Tina. Best of luck with the job search as well. <laughs> and just for anybody who is interested in doing that, it's Growing Your Potential and it's an, an initiative run by the Cork City Partnership and um, they are open for applications at the minute and if you want to find out more, if you want to apply, it's corkcitypartnership.ie That's corkcitypartnership.ie Can we just talk?
The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. Fiona Corcoran in for PJ Coogan on The Opinion Line on this Monday morning. Now, I know we're all just getting over the back to school and uh, getting over the summer. And for a lot of people, Christmas is a faraway thought. But um, the next item that we have coming up now is about Christmas and it's about um, shopping for Christmas. Now, and I know there are a lot of people out there who are very organised and who do start their Christmas shopping early because they they don't want to have the, the expense of having everything at the last minute. But there are many people like myself who do leave it to the last minute. But um, Alan Holland of Kielvar, which is in Bishopstown, is um, advising people this morning that, you know, you should really be starting now this year in particular because of product shortages. Good morning, Alan. Hi, good morning, Fiona. How are you? Thanks for joining us on the Opinion Line this morning. Alan, um, we've been reading quite a bit about this over the last few days that, um, you know, the the products that people love um, in the run-up to Christmas, particularly toys, that they may be in short supply this year. Uh, yes, there's there's been a, a lot of trouble on the high seas and ocean freight transportation. So mm. there's been uh, many, many... Uh, from toy companies to car manufacturers and electronic goods manufacturers, all all competing for a a very tight capacity in ocean freight transport. So um, sometimes it's the uh, it's the toy companies that might be losing out. So uh, mm. there's risks there for Christmas for sure. What's causing these delays? And uh, the. I suppose the start of the disruption was um, was kicked off by the start of the pandemic right. when when there's a collapse in demand and suddenly uh, suddenly America and, and American and European consumers were, were were buying less of everything for a few weeks when the pandemic started and and all these uh, ships were crossing the oceans half empty mm. and uh, they the containers were being left in the wrong locations. So you ended up with uh, warehouses full of uh, containers, but the ships are going back across the ocean to China where most of these goods are, are manufactured. And then demand spiked. So you had demand collapsing and demand escalating, mm. but there was no containers in China to, to get the goods out. So And then you had factories shutting down in China because of COVID outbreaks. And then you have ports shutting down because if, if there's a single case in a port in China, you know some of these ports could be three times the size of Rotterdam. Mm. The whole port shuts for a week. So there's been that chaos coupled with climate change chaos. You know, even today there's a typhoon nearing Shanghai port. So right. uh, there's so it's not getting better. It's only getting worse. I'm afraid. And, um, you know, people might remember the image back in March of that giant ship that was blocking the Suez Canal. Is that having an effect on on, on, on the shipping? Had, yeah, that, that, that had an effect too. So it was, uh, yeah, it was one thing on top of another. Uh, and when the Suez Canal struck, it was yet, yet another um, disaster for ocean freight transportation because so much of the goods that move from Asia to Europe relied heavily mm. on the Suez Canal, and so that that was another factor. Um, but, but like that was back in March. Factors. So why is it having um, a knock-on effect still? Um, well, what happens is uh, the 
I suppose some ships would have would have changed course and gone back around right. the, the south of Africa to come around. So they would have been delayed by weeks. And then they will arrive at port weeks late. And then they go back to Asia and they're weeks late. So you had many of these what they call blank sailings. Mm. Uh, in, in the air, you know, in airline industry, when there's delays, usually the planes can catch up and, and they just arrive a few hours late that evening. And, and everything starts again from afresh in the morning. But in ocean freight transportation, you get delays like that mm. and it cascades for weeks and months afterwards. And then when you get multiple delays and a multiple cascade, you, know, this, you get a multiplicative effect, really. And it's going to last for 12 months or more. Yeah. You were so. talking about the just-in-time manufacturing philosophy. What is that and has that had an effect on, on, on shipping? Yes, that's another factor that uh, your companies who make goods like your your everything from your playstations to your uh, cars, what they liked to do, and what Toyota kind of um, pioneered this initiative of just-in-time manufacturing, that they wouldn't have much inventory in their factories, mm. that they would be getting in the chips and the tires and the brake pads and everything they needed to build something just in time for produ- producing them. And that that works well when the supply chains are operating uh, as expected but if any part stops then the whole thing stops so there's examples of car manufacturers in the US where they have tens of thousands of cars that are 99% finished but sitting in parking lots waiting for semiconductor chips so now, if you go down to a car garage and you try to buy a new car, you'll be told, yes, we'll we'll put that order in for you in yeah. maybe three, four months. Um, likewise, with everything from Windows to Playstations, that you could be waiting a long time, much, much longer than you expected. So, Alan, your advice for Christmas shoppers is to start as quickly as possible. Yeah, that's 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 the best approach here. Uh, is is to do your shopping earlier than you have done in any other year. Mm. Um, so get started now. I would say. And I suppose we don't want to cause panic amongst people either. I mean, like especially if people are still, you know, struggling with the back to school costs or whatever. But um, do you know, like, how important is it to start early this year? Like, will there will there will be stock? I, I'm assuming, but just you know, in the run up to Christmas, but just there there's just a risk that maybe that that yeah. fluffy toy with the electronic device inside it that you wanted may not be there. Yes. Yeah, if there's something specific you want, then it's better to buy it early. Um, you just won't be able, you won't be you can't be as confident this year that what you want will definitely be on the shelves in the week before Christmas. Mm. Um, so. Uh, yes, if there's something specific, then uh, plan ahead. Okay. I suppose for many parents, there's that whole thing as well, that children change their mind so much. <laughs> I know. I have four as well, yeah. <laughs> and they often do change their mind. So, yeah, there's a, there's risks attached for sure. Yeah. And just, I suppose, for, for bulkier items as well, not so much the toys, but like um, with furniture and stuff. And actually, just as I mentioned, toys. I know last year there was a, a severe shortage of bicycles um, and, and scooters and a lot of parents were scrambling trying to find bikes in the run-up to Christmas. Do you think that it'll be something like that again this year? Yeah, it's. Um, I think that the bicycle manufacturing companies, they, I suppose, they had a spike in demand mm. uh, because there's uh, so many people uh, having to, you know, um, operate within a five-kilometer radius and so on, so on. So many people took to cycling. So that I think that the that was slightly different, and uh, 
but it's the bulkier items now that re- especially those that rely on semiconductor chips yeah those are the ones most at risk so you know laptops and playstations and xboxes those uh those will be in short supply and it, it's um unfortunately for 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 businesses that have bulkier items the transportation cost is a greater fraction of um the total cost of the product they put on the shelves too so in you know construction things like uh, materials or furniture for houses they are we'll, we'll see inflation and mm. rises in prices for those goods but we'll also see them arriving much later Okay, um, Alan, thank you very much. That's Alan Holland from Kielvar. What do you think? Are you um, already buying your Christmas presents for people now? Are you trying to get your, your Christmas stock in or is it too early to even be thinking about this? But as Alan says, you don't want to be left in a situation where you um, have in the run-up to Christmas um, and you have a, a list there with bikes and whatever on it and uh, there's uh, none in the shop and it just causes great panic for people. Let us know what you think. 1850 Nine nine six zero eight three three ninety six ninety six ninety six, and um, we've had a comment in here from somebody who says, "I'm sick to death of hearing the name Catherine Sapone." There are more pressing things happening right now. Well, caller, I think you will be hearing the name Catherine Sapone later in the week as well, because we know that uh, there is a motion of no confidence in um, Simon Coveney on Wednesday that that's been um, tabled by. Um, uh, Sinn Féin so caller I, I know you're sick to death of hearing it but I don't think it's the end of it just now um, we will be back after this break with um, a young fe- a young man who's involved in a running group in Cork Can we just talk The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan Call us now 1850 715 996 on Cork's 96FM Anne has been in touch with us here on the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM this morning to say Hi, in the UK one can walk into many pharmacies and locations to get tested. PCR by post is quite popular. Just post away the test in a priority envelope and the result is here the next day. Boris gave free antigen test kits to every household. Antigen test kits can be got free in pharmacies. That is personal responsibility with the tools from UK government thereby giving people a more normal life to socialise. Our country is really gone being our by not providing more PCR walk-in centres. Ireland boasts best COVID vaccination and now high proportion of cases. Reasons are not sufficient testing or pay 100 privately. Why don't they test till October 22nd? Thanks very much for that, Anne. If you agree with Anne, uh, you let us know 1850 715 996 or 083-396-9696. Now, uh, my next guest is a member of the Frontrunners Cork and they have recently been um, awarded the Cork International Hotel Community Spirit Award winner and um, joining me now to tell me about the Front Runners Cork is Evan Murphy Kyo. Evan, good morning. Morning, Sean. How are you? I'm very well. Um, that award is for um, you know people who uh, hold uh, or, or organise something that's for the greater community good. And uh, so, what is Front Runners Cork? Why? What, just tell me a little bit about what that is. Yeah, of course. So um, thanks for having me on this morning. Um, so I suppose the Frontrunners, uh, it's an international um, sports organization and they are around, I think, over 40 or 40 or 50 years. Um, and uh, they set up in the US um, and basically 
about three years ago, um, we noticed that the uh, LGBTQ plus community in Cork, um, we kind of had a shortage of um, of sports groups within the um, Cork area. Mm. Um, and I suppose, um, you know, being active in uh, sports um, is also linked, um, proven to be linked to um, positive mental health. So for um, the LGBTQ plus community, um, we came together within the Gay Project, um, which is an organisation based in Cork. Mm-hmm. And um, I suppose there was a there was a, a feeling that there was probably people there who wanted to set up a running group. Um, that group then uh, kind of came together in September 2018, and uh, we set up our group. There was kind of no structures really; it was more just uh, come along and um, and I suppose uh, if you want to run, we'll do it on these days, and this is where we meet. Um, so very much started out out of um, a community need, um, and it very much is going strength from strength. Three years later, so we have um, quite a large group. We have. Um, Kind of on a regular, we we run on a Mondays and a Saturday, um, but on a regular week we'd have maybe twenty to thirty people, hmm. um, and then overall we have over a hundred members who would be kind of active in terms of engagement and uh, maybe just um, involved in kind of um, if we were having a social event or if we were just meeting up for coffees, uh, we'd have a lot of people who you might not see at the runs but you'd see at the uh, social gatherings. Cork's Gay Project do have a lot of initiatives around the city at the minute, but how important is it to have something like this, as you as you said, like something that involves sport? I think it's uh, it's it, it's quite um, uh, important at the moment, and I suppose uh, I'll use some, one of our one of one of the runners in, based in Cork at the moment, uh, Aoife Cook. She was an Olympian this year, mm. um, and she's a member of the LGBTQ plus community. And uh, I know she won't mind me saying that because <laughs> she's quite a proud uh, f- flag bearer for the community, and she was the marshal of uh, this year's uh, Cork Pride. Um, festival. So I suppose um, it's it, for LGBTQ plus community. Um, it can be intimidating to go into an environment whereby you are not sure how people will react mm. um, to, I suppose, your gender or your orientation. Um, so for some people, it's it's that sense of uh, familiarity, um, community, family that you don't need to constantly. Because I, I I'm not sure if you're aware, but when there's this the, the the story of, you know, someone coming out, it's not that they come out once and that's kind of it. Mm. For a lot of people, they have to come out several times to several people in several different organisations. So, um, so yeah, so that's kind of why there's a bit of a, there's a, probably a bit of more of um, uh, uh, an attraction for an LGBTQ plus community uh, person to come to uh, a group that involves those people rather than um, a group that uh, wouldn't. And I suppose mm. the, the fear of rejection is always there for someone in that um, organisation. And I suppose it's it's not then just about the exercise as well. I'm sure everybody gets together afterwards and, and has a chat and, and you can talk openly about whatever it is you want. Yeah, no, 100%. So, um, it, uh, like, um, I'll I'll kind of t- tip on something as well around, um, it depends on where you work as well because yeah. some places, um, you know, it's very much like, you know, the environment you work in. So I know for myself, I worked in um, a couple of jobs where you're kind of not sure if you want to kind of tell people where you were for the weekend or that you were, you know, away with your partner or, you know, there, there can be that stigma around that. So yeah. I think it's very much around um, that kind of social aspect as well in that you can come, you can talk about, you know, you know, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, um, what you did for the weekend, you know, who you were with, where you were. Um, and there's kind of that um, acceptance of no matter, almost no matter what you say, you know, there's an acceptance there that, you know, you're, you're part of the community. 
And I think the social meetups that we have afterwards, as I was saying, some people don't come to the run, but they'll come to the, the coffee meetups afterwards. Mm. Um, and, and that's just as important because we always sell ourselves uh, when we're talking to people as a social group that runs. Um, because we're very much that. Um, I suppose at the start we did have that kind of internal question of are we a running group that meets and socializes or are we a social group that runs? Um, and we felt that the social aspect was the most important part of it because there's a there's an outlet there for people. Mm. Um, and we hope then that once they come to the social um, aspect of the um, after the runs, that they might get in, interested in actually taking up the running and, and I suppose uh, promoting that healthy um, aspect to it then as well, which is good for mental health. The minds are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Fiona Corcoran in for PJ Coogan on this horrible Monday morning. Hopefully the rest of the week is not like this. Um, we spoke at the start of the show about the passing of little Fionn Barry, the seven-year-old who died over the weekend and he's being laid to rest this morning. Dee has been in touch to say, ah, heartbreaking to hear of the sad passing of little amazing warrior Fionn. Most of our troubles are trivial hearing such sad news, thinking of his many friends today. So sad hearing his heroic battle through his mum's. His journey really captured the hearts of us all. May he rest in peace. I'm gutted. And his mom Brenda, has spoken out so often about their fight for Fionn and she was indeed um, awarded a Carer of the Year award as well. Um, you know, she had given up her job and she had taken time out to, to care for her son. And if anybody else wants to pass on a message of condolence, they can send it to us on 1850-715-996 or 083-396-9696 and we'll try and maybe forward them on to the family on your behalf. Now, um, in January of this year, the HSE highlighted the impact of the pandemic on children, including increased presentations of anxiety and anorexia. And one of the hospitalizations that um, saw an increase was for eating disorders, which were up 66% compared to 2019. And BodyWise um, subsequently had issued a, sta- a, a study, a survey, which found that there was an increase in the amount of boys who were presenting for eating disorders. Now joining me on the line is um, Fiona Kennedy. Good morning, Fiona. Good morning, Fiona. Um, this rise in um, eating disorders among boys, were you surprised? Not at all, actually. And I'm grateful for the opportunity to come on and talk about this issue because it's so under-addressed in the world of eating disorders. Um, mm. Not at all was I surprised because I suppose when you think about the pandemic in and of itself, there was a lot of fearful energy that surrounded that, a lot of lack of control, um, our resources were pulled from us and so on. So adolescents, um, where I primarily work in in the adolescent field, Mm. a lot of their contacts um, and the things that would have, you know, I suppose nourished them on a broader sense, um, were robbed from them. And so a lot of them set out to sort of, um, they put their energies into self-improvement, which was very much around dieting around um you know losing some weight becoming mm. fitter um, and unfortunately for many there was fertile ground which needs to be present for the emergence of an eating disorder and that existed and then of course they shot up 
Um, so absolutely, I would even see it within my own practice at the minute, how there's certainly a lot more young young males presenting to me. Because I think, you know, ordinarily we associate eating disorders with women and that they affect more women than they do affect men. But like to hear that they're affecting younger males now, boys who are teenagers, it's really quite worrying. Okay, yeah, well, absolutely. And I suppose, look, statistics would show that three quarters presentation is female. Mm. But that leaves a quarter male. So you can imagine the stigma that surrounds that for young men trying to come in and access support and even for parents because parents don't associate eating disorders with with males so they're less likely to pick up on the early warning signs around mm. their son what they might be doing the behaviors that are associated with these illnesses um so because that stigma exists i mean i've had so many people you know young men break down kind of go oh my god i've got a female illness and it's not that at all and then the relief that you know they have when you when you tell them like 25% actually is is male presentation yeah. And they're just, they, does that give them, you know, like that, that they're not alone then, that they, they know that it's not just something that affects women, that it is affecting men. So it's important to get the, this, this message out there today. It's absolutely crucial that we get this message out there. I suppose one of the things is, I suppose one of the most known illnesses around eating disorders is anorexia. And mm. and that's very much, you know, female orientated, but I'm seeing a lot more males present with, with anorexia. And so around anorexia, what we've got there is we've got a need for control and a need for stability. So if you have a young man who has, you know, maybe a history of trauma and and just to say what we know about trauma, Fiona, is that before we thought that was an experience or an event, it's not. It's how we experience an event. So where Mm. you and I may have a similar experience, how I navigate that and how you navigate it could be very different. So you may be absolutely fine and kind of move on through the experience, whereas it could really, really impact me. And so if that's that the emotional, um, you know, upheaval remains unprocessed, then what will happen for me is I'll carry that forward. And I think what I think it's actually Terry um, that talks about a freezer um uh, analogy where mm. you know if we have unprocessed trauma we put the the feelings and the emotions away because they're too much for us we fear overwhelm or if we can't deal with them and so we stuff them into our internal freezer but then something else happens and you know we, we stuff them in as well but there's only so much you can put into a freezer before it goes into meltdown and that's kind of what we call fertile ground then for an eating disorder because it's the unprocessed stuff where we need to now have control over our lives i can't control all that's happening here like you know instance of illness or, or grief or I can't control that stuff but what I can control is my eating and, and what I put into my body and how much I exercise and that gives me strength and a sense of stability and that's very very common um, for young men and um, the other yeah the other side of that then just to say I suppose is that the muscle dysmorphia which is often considered reverse anorexia which is more commonly presenting with males young males is where you will see young men trying to bulk up Mm. Um, so where somebody with an um, anorexia will see themselves as being bigger than they are, somebody with muscle dysmorphia will see themselves as being smaller than they are. So young men will really strive to, you know, they will take steroids, they will be in the gym, they'll be overdoing the, you know, really high level protein diet, really unhealthy behaviours in order to bulk up. Um, and usually what's underpinning that then is that, you know, quite commonly what's underpinning that is bullying or abuse whereas if I you know make myself really strong in the world then I, I feel that I'm untouchable um, but underneath actually I'm, I'm, I'm feeling quite fragile. 
Fiona, if somebody suspects that their friend or a family member has an eating disorder, obviously f- to approach anybody about this is, is a very sensitive topic and mm. you have to be mm. really mindful of, of their mental health when you do approach them. Is it, mm-hmm. when you're approaching a male about it, is it, is it different because they, they may see it as a female disease? Do you know what? It is and it isn't. I mean, if you're armed with the, the awareness that this is not a female disease, you mm. know, that there's quite, you know, quarter presentation is male, that can really help bring somebody's um, shame. It's actually shame that they experience around having this illness down mm. and makes them more open to, you know, hearing the options that's available to them. Um, I always say be as direct, but as compassionate and as supportive as possible. So just naming your concern. The problem with eating disorders is they're helpful before they're harmful. And that's why they take hold so quickly. So I always say it's very easy to get an eating disorder, but it's very difficult to recover from one. Um, because in the early stages, the, the behaviours align with what we want. So if I want to feel better about myself, if I have low self-esteem, if I don't feel that I'm good enough and I start to, you know, engage in, in behaviours that suddenly give me a sense of achievement and a sense of control. And now my peers are looking at me and they're giving me um, compliments and I'm feeling good enough then I'm going to keep those behaviours going because I feel, feel, I feel really good in the world. And that might be the first time that I actually feel really accepted and really seen in a positive light. So in the initial stages, the behaviours align with the ego, what the ego wants. Um, the problem is then if everybody's seeing me this way and I'm getting, I need to keep this going. So we don't, there's no clear line in the sand when this becomes, moves from helpful to harmful. Mm. And by the time it's acknowledged, it's like two to three years um, is the estimated time before people present for for help. Um, At that stage, it's like it has really taken hold and the the behaviours are compulsive, they're obsessive. A person's life has taken over, their mental health declines, their physical well-being declines. So, and the other thing I suppose to note about an eating disorder, Fiona, is that these are multifaceted illnesses. If I could do one thing about this, I would change the name eating disorder because I think it gives such a misconcept of what these illnesses are about. These are mm. multifaceted. They're psychological, they're emotional, they're spiritual, they're behavioral and they're medical. There's all aspects of the person is is affected by these. And so yeah. for for recovery to happen, all those areas need to be supported. So we need to kind of really change the narrative around it then. Yeah, especially, you know, I suppose I work a lot with parents and it's like it's all about food. But, you know, if he's eating and, and if we can get them to eat or if we can get them to stop eating or if we just get them to stop mm. getting sick, or, that's the behaviour. It's like, for me, I said that that's what you see, but it's actually what's the underlying issues? Why does it make sense for your son or your daughter to starve themselves? Why does it make sense for your son or daughter to spend hours in the gym trying to bulk up? What is going on that they need to be doing this? And, you know, the underlying issues will dictate the type of eating disorder that presents into that presents for the person. Mm. Um, and so for me, it's always like the meaning making, finding out what's going on underneath that so that we can resolve it because nobody will ever you know, give up an eating disorder. You have to let it go once enough of a sense of self is built and you feel self-supported enough in the world to move out of these behaviours and on into life. And Fiona Kennedy, you are an adult and adolescent psychotherapist with a special interest in eating disorders. And if anyone is listening to this um, conversation this morning and has any queries or any kind of concerns, where would you advise them to go to for, for information or support? 
Yeah, there's loads of stuff on the internet. Bodywise have a really good um, website and they give lots of, of information. And that's the one thing I would say. If, you know, if you're concerned, especially I suppose I'd reach out to parents in this, you know, sometimes what happens is like, you know, we have an instinct around our children. So we know something's wrong. There's a little niggling voice. But because eating disorders, they can be passed off as like fads or, you know, um, a stage of picky eating or whatever. Mm. We kind of can dismiss it. Whereas if you feel, become a bit more vigilant, become noticeable and don't dismiss it as, as, as being irrelevant, then go on and try and find all the information that you can before you address the issue with your, your son, your daughter, your loved one, if it's an adult, be armed with information so that when you say, look, I'm aware that, you know, I, I see that you've really cut back or you're avoiding meals or I see, mm. you know, that um, I'd, I'd sort of avoid conversations around weight loss because that can really ignite the the achievement scenario. So it's like, oh God, I'm being seen to lose weight. This is great. So it's like, I see your mood has dropped. Um, you know, I see you've been unwell. I see just overall, I see such a change in you. I'm really concerned about that. And I've been looking up this and it, it you know, this website tells me a lot of what I see. So I just want you to know I'm really concerned. So not in, in a threatening way, you're first of all naming your concerns yeah. um, so that the conversation can be opened up, you know, um, because, you know, as I said, at, at the stage when somebody comes forward and says, you know, it, it's much better if somebody comes forward and says, I'm in trouble with this. But a lot of the time it'll be parents or loved ones that'll actually come forward and say, look, I, I'm worried about you. But at that stage, the person might be in a place to hear that just yet because they're still either still attached to the egocentric features, yeah. the, the, the behaviours that were, um, you know, giving them the, the helpful aspects in their life, if you like, and they're either at that stage or they're chasing them. So it's like it worked once, it'll work again, you know. Okay. Um, so it's it's to be really sensitive in your approach, but really, you know, well-versed in eating disorders and a good as, as a good understanding as you can get before you have those conversations. Okay, Fiona Kennedy, thank you very much for joining us on The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. Welcome back. Fiona Corcoran in for PJ Coogan on the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. And just to remind you that uh, Trevor Welch can be joined for his Premier League Live Saturdays from midday on 96FM.ie, powered by TalkSport. We bring you pre-match analysis, live commentary, exclusive interviews and post-match breakdowns. The Premier League Live Online with Now Stream Live Premier League Action with a Now Sports or Sports Extra membership. Your sports on your terms. Stream only the games that matter to you most with now. Listen Saturdays on the Cork's 96FM app or go to 96FM.ie. Now, Alicia Brock was stabbed to death in 2010 when she was just 20 years old. The man responsible for her death was John Geary, uh, Geary, and he also murdered her friend Sarah Hines, along with his five-month-old daughter Amy and her three-year-old brother Reese. And now Alicia's mother, Maria Dempsey, is calling for a helpline to be set up for people who are having intrusive or homicidal thoughts to be able to talk about them without feeling shame. Good morning, Maria. Hello? Can you hear me? I can hear you, yes. Yes, good morning, Maria, and thanks for joining us on the Opinion Line this morning, Maria. Maria, why are you calling now for this hotline to be set up? Well, you know, I mean, this is something that's probably going to take quite a long time to organise. But, you know, 
what I've been thinking over the years as I speak to um, families who've been bereaved by homicide is that often there has been threats to um, to kill. Yeah. Now, um, it is actually illegal if you was to say that you were feeling homicide or, or that you was feeling like harming somebody, grievous harm. Yeah. yeah, that is illegal. It's a threat to kill or threat of grievous harm. So even to a third party. So, you know, I just think this is just a bit of a contradiction in respect of being open to hear how people are feeling emotionally. If you have to hold that in because it is illegal, then, you know, what hope have we got of saving people from being maimed, disabled and ultimately murdered? So do you think that if somebody was having these thoughts and that they were able to voice them out loud to somebody and talk through them that they might not necessarily carry out the act that they're thinking about? I, I believe that it's possible, not for all, but mm. that there is, um, there is hopefully a majority of people who would take that opportunity. Um, you know, if we go back to 1993, you know, Suicide was illegal in Ireland. People didn't want to hear about it and people didn't talk about it. And now, you know, we can all accept that people have suicidal thoughts. You know, there is, without doubt, some relation between suicidal thoughts and homicidal thoughts. One being that you're going to harm yourself and the other that you want to harm somebody other. But the the kind of general feeling is that you know, you have these very intrusive thoughts. You can't talk them out with anybody because of shame, because of fear of, you know, criminal prosecution. That, um, you know, why not start to talk about why people have homicidal thoughts or why people might want to... Well, I don't think anybody really wants to grievously harm anybody at the beginning mm. but you know it must they must become very these thoughts must become very intrusive because you know i think all the evidence is there that you know before somebody is beaten so badly that they're maimed for life or somebody is murdered you know there's lots of clues which in ireland because we aren't doing the um you know homicide reviews yeah. domestic homicide reviews you know, we are missing these bits of information, but looking in other countries at domestic homicide reviews, you know, ultimately, they're near enough. It's always, always a flag that says this was going to happen. Whether, you know, when they go digging, they find um, notes that they've written to themselves that they're going to do harm or that they've told other people that they're going to do harm, you know. Mm. This, this is, um, you know, I just feel that give a place for people to say, you know, look, I'm, I'm feeling really angry. I'm so angry that I really want to go and harm this person. You know, why not? And you have, you have officially called for authorities here to conduct these um, domestic homicide reviews. Um, like they do have them, as you said, there in other countries. I see they have them in Portugal, England, Wales, Norway, and some countries in America. Um, like you, you think it's time now? I mean, we've had several different cases here in in Ireland recently um, where 
we have had deaths as a result of domestic violence and you know I think what you're saying is that if we had these reviews that it may lessen the amount of, of, of these kind of killings that we're having Selling a little or a lot Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Yeah, because we'd have a greater understanding of why they are happening mm. or at what point could you have helped somebody to um, to not carry out these things and why everybody wants to stick their fingers and their ears and not hear somebody say, you know, I feel so angry, I feel murderous. Mm. Then, you know, we're just leaving it with somebody who's in some kind of mental state or a state of control, yeah. they're losing control, um, to just to, to make the decisions themselves. Whereas I just feel like, you know, somebody could ring up and say, you know, help me. It's becoming very intrusive and, you know, I'm, I want to do harm. Nobody's listening to me. Nobody understands me. This is my story and um, I'm losing everything and I'm losing control. You know, we all feel those kind of feelings at some time in our life. Maria, John Geary, I believe, was um, talking about it in the days beforehand that he was telling people in the pub that he was going to kill his ex, Sarah Hines. She had recently ended their relationship. Like, when you heard that, um, like, do you know, obviously you were, you must have been sickened to your stomach, but do you think that if he had had a place to talk about this in a more kind of professional way, like, like a helpline that, I mean, like, we don't know if that would have stopped him, but that it may have kind of changed his mind? Well, I, you know, I think, you know, in the sense of we don't know that. Mm. But what we do know is if we look at suicide statistics, that accepting that people feel suicidal has helped people to get over suicidal thoughts. So why wouldn't it work with homicide? I mean, let me just, or grievous harm, just let me just say here, you know, why should it be the victims that are hearing this 
threats to kill and why are they living in fear because the country hasn't set up for people to be able to talk about their feelings mm. to others and yeah. how are you doing I, now maria <laughs> yeah i'm good you know i say i'm good you know as I'm, good as you I'm can getting, be you know so yeah i'm getting you know through my reading through research etc i'm starting to learn and understand a lot more about homicide you know um you asked the question there about could he have been saved? I don't know, but I think there was at least three people who had heard that he was going to kill, mm. that he wanted to kill Sarah. You know, was that a cry for help? I I don't know. I don't know, but um, nobody knows because who, who, who would listen? And ultimately, you know, once you've committed the act, then that's it. It's a... It's a life imprisonment for you and the government are going to be spending, you know, well, we do know now in homicide, they're going to do at least 12 years before they get a parole review. So that's um, 100,000 per year for 12 years at least. And then there's the investigation, the coroner's report, and then the impact on family. You know, you're talking about huge, huge, huge amounts of money. And I just think, why not trial something like this? Or why not even just start to talk about um, homicidal thoughts? Mm. And in the same respect that we used to think, talk about it, and that we've learned to talk about suicidal. And have you ever spoken to any of the authorities about this um, idea of a, a helpline and about the, the homicide reviews? Um, the homicide reviews, yes. Constantly, yeah. you know, I'd say since 2016, you know, when I noticed like even within the CSO, the statistics, when you read there, you see, you know, there's been 60 homicides this year. Nobody knows if that's a domestic homicide. Nobody knows if that's a criminal um, gang homicide. Nobody knows. But what we do know now is that most homicides are domestic homicide, mm. which is shocking. And there's like... I say, I think it's about 60, average, about 60 people a year are murdered. And then we actually don't know the numbers of people who are maimed, left in vegetative state, people who are living with stab wounds. You know, there's mm. lots of people, lots and lots. I, I couldn't even bring the number down because nobody actually does know how many people um, are living with life-changing injuries because of acts of violence. And it is, I mean, it's, it's it's shocking and it's scary and we even had that case last week in Kerry as well and that's still under investigation as to what happened there. But, um, you know, as you say, there's more and more of these cases and we it definitely needs something like we need something here whether and um, that's the hotline or or the reviews like i think that the authorities really need to listen to your conversation today and and act accordingly do you know and and bring something in as quickly as possible well yeah especially the the homicide reviews you know we're missing vital clues all the time every time another family faces the loss of their loved one we're losing lots of information you know, mm. some of these things, they just seem so simple and so subtle, you know, that, you know, when we hear people say, oh, I'm going to kill you, 
mm. you know, you just think they're angry. Yeah. You know, but I'm saying, you know, if somebody says they're going to kill you, or if you hear somebody saying they're going to kill somebody, take it serious, go to the guardie and report it, you know, because it might just be a cry for help. Yeah, cause I think it is a turn Stop of phrase me. that we use a lot here in Ireland very flippantly and we don't really think about what we're saying. But I mean, like, as you say, the vast majority of people are not going to carry out that act. But in some cases, unfortunately, it does go that little bit too far. Yeah, it does. And like, you know, not everybody is murdered. Just quite a few people are left with brain injury, mm. stab wounds. You know, a lot of people. I mean, thousands of people. Every year, like. Yeah. Maria, thank you so much for joining us on the Opinion Line this morning on 96FM and for talking so bravely about um, what happened and about setting up a hotline. What do you think? Do you think it's a good idea? Contact us 1850-715-996 or 0833-969696. A few comments that have come into us here with regards to the conversation I had um, with Fierna about eating disorders. Kate has been in touch to say clothes shops have a lot to answer for also one shop a girl could be a small size in the next a large it doesn't help at all and indeed we discussed that at length um, last week on the opinion line when one uh, lady had posted a video on her social media um, showing the differences in um, sizes of clothes and pennies um, also Josephine has been in touch to say morning Fiona would like to wish the students all the best on their return to college this morning and that comes in from Josephine who's a mum of three thank you very much for that Josephine keep your comments coming into us 1850-715-996-0833-969696 The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan Call us now 1850-715-996 On Corks 96 FM Welcome back, Fiona Corcoran in for PJ Coogan on this Monday morning. Now, earlier I was mentioning an article that was written in um, the Irish Mail on Sunday which slated um, the dress of a lot of the female and a few of the male politicians who were at the Fianna Fáil Parliamentary Party thinking and um, Vivian has been in touch with us. Vivian, good morning. Good morning, Fiona. Vivian, yeah, um, to your yeah, well, I'm sorry. sorry, sorry, continue, continue, sorry. Um, yeah, it's just in relation to um, the the article that um, I was talking about, where they were, um, where politicians were being slated for their their work, and and you were in touch with us. Uh, you, what was your own view on that? Yeah, I, you see, personally, I do think um, appearance is very important um, because I think anybody who can get themselves out of bed, get mm. up, get showered, get dressed and presentable before eight o'clock in the morning. This, this tells me something about the person. Um, it tells me that they're disciplined, that they're reliable and they're serious. Um, I know that professional c- competence should be the, the first and, and, and foremost and all, but I also think appearance is important. And I don't think we're living in forgiving times. I think we're, I think we're living in very unforgiving times. I think there's tremendous pressure on people to be, you know, perfect mm. in in all aspects. But personally, I think, I, I think it's it says a lot about the person, um, particularly if you're dealing with um, the public. That, but do you think um, it's fair? You know, the, like, the, important. Mm-hmm. 
the, 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 the journalist who wrote the article was slating them for, you know, last season's dress or that Norma Foley was wearing boring black. Um, do you know, like, do you think that there should be a focus on, you know, is it different that they look professional or that they're a little bit maybe dated in their look? Does that really matter that, you know, that they're not wearing the latest trends that they're wearing last season's dress? Um, should we just I, a focus on that they're looking professional? I think that's more important um, personally because trends change. Well, you know yourself, you know, the, the trends change. <laughs> now it's it's every it's every three months. It used to be every year, but I think now it's every season um, yeah. and it's a nightmare trying to keep up. I can't keep up. What colour is it now? Are we? Are, is it blue for the autumn or is it pink? Um, I give up. I give up. But I do think it's important that um, there's a certain element of, of looking professional, looking the part. Now, before, just as I've said that, of course, if you're going to spend the day under the hood of the car, <laughs> I don't expect that you're best, you're dressed in your best, um, uh, you know, but I do think if you're dealing with the public, certainly, um, in, you know, in an office, that it, it, it's important to, to look professional. Um, and by that, I mean, I know I'm going to sound like a right old fogey, you know, no holes in the jeans, no holes in the bum, no holes in the yeah. knees, um, you know, at least some bit of decorum and professionalism um, and I, I, I think it, you know since this, this dreaded COVID has started I mean there's all sorts of jokes going around about you know people um, having Zoom meetings and mm. you, God knows what they're wearing you just yeah. <laughs> you can't see from from the top up I mean I suppose in your job the same we don't know what you're wearing Fiona you could be wearing anything <laughs> I've but, uh, my jeans <laughs> 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 but it doesn't matter. We can't see it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But you know what I'm saying? Yeah. If you, you know, you, I think you should, you should dress certainly um, to, to, to fit the part. Yeah. But however, saying that, I also do think um, you should dress, um, you know, certainly to, to please yourself as well to a certain amount. But somewhere maybe in the middle would be would be good. Yeah. Um, I uh, think like so during lockdown, a lot really, of people did their work in pajamas, or they might have like put on a tracksuit, or they might have had a fancy top on, but the tracksuit bottoms on the bottom <laughs> if they were doing a Zoom call. Exactly. So I think it's going to be big... in the fancy top. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, it is. Um, you know, I think for a lot of people going back to work there is that whole thing of oh god what am I going to wear uh, and am I going to fit into the clothes that I had before last night <laughs> <laughs> this famous COVID COVID stone or COVID yeah. six kilos they talk about here in Spain but listen I, I think as well Fiona that it, you know um, you talk about you mentioned there about the Zoom calls um, um, <laughs> sorts of jokes going on about that yeah. what's he wearing under what's he wearing um, you know we can't see only from the top up yeah. um, I, I think you know I think just psychologically it's important I think it's very, very important that you, you know, you keep a routine um, and you you dress for the occasion. It just purely on a psychological level, and this is again, this is very personal. I think if I'm if I'm dressed for the occasion, I go into work mode mentally. I don't mm. know if anybody else experiences with this, but I, I mean, I work from home as well um, during the COVID, um, giving classes online, and for me, it's very, very important. Put on the you know, the clothes that I would normally wear if I were giving class um, and meeting people, putting on a bit of lippy, combing the hair and looking <laughs> the part, yeah. even if, it, as I say, they can only see me from the shoulders up. But I think it's it's a psychological trick to, to you know, to get into that frame of mind. And then at five o'clock, by all means, 
get into the slobbies and <laughs> and pajamas and, and and rest for the day. Um, and Vivian, I, do you I think, think that like mm-hmm. none of the politicians obviously went to the thinking with their um, mm-hmm. tracksuit on? They did make um, a bit of an effort to get dressed. <laughs> but um, do you know? Do you think nowadays that um, the people who do make some sort of an effort to put clothes on them and you know brush their hair and maybe put on a bit of lippy that that should be enough and that we shouldn't really be criticising them regardless of whether they're in the public eye or not. Yeah, yeah. I think I think there's, as, as I say, it, it has to be a sort of a, a middle ground with everything. Um, mm. You know, uh, somewhere in the middle there and brushing the hair and putting on the lippy and being clean and presentable, I think is, as I say, that says a lot. I do not for one minute suggest that we all get up at six in the morning to <laughs> to get the hair and place and, and, and the five centimetres of makeup on and the nails and whatever else. If that's your thing, by all means, go ahead and do it. But I, I think somewhere in the middle, what, what, what drives me mad, and it's a trend, and it's a trend I know that's in Ireland, it's in Cork, and it's certainly here in, in Spain as well, is when I see people going around the supermarkets with the jammies on. Yeah. That just <laughs> drives me crazy. It really does. I mean, um, as I say, I think I'm turning slowly, turning into an old fogey, um, <laughs> little by little, no? Um, uh, it ju- I really just, I just think... Get yourself a dress or something, yeah. um, because also it's simply um, the the hygienic aspect. Um, wearing the clothes that you're going to go to bed in yeah. <laughs> on the street, I just ah, <laughs> oh, um, I don't quite, I don't quite get it. As a, um, but maybe that's just me. <laughs> and and I know it's very fashionable and it's very trendy. And how are things in Madrid, Vivian, over there now at the minute? Um, are people back in their offices over there? <laughs> Right. Until the 30th of this month, we're um, sitting many, many thousands, thousands, millions, in fact, all over Spain. Are, many of us are still working from home. Yeah. But um, I think the 30th of September, we're expecting the next government announcement. And okay. I think it's, it's looking increasingly like um, we, um, many people will be returning. Um, whether whether they'll be doing that willingly or unwillingly, it remains to be seen, because yeah. now, of course, um, many Spanish people have got the taste of what it truly means to to you know to work at home, and because our because our working hours, um, as you probably know, Fiona, are crazy in this country. I mean, many people start at um, nine in the morning, and at seven in the evening they're still in the office. Yeah. Uh, so, so they've 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 got a taste of that. So. I think there'll, there'll be a lot of pressure put on um, large companies to at least allow some sort of a blended system where maybe you work two days um, in the office and three days at home because um, it's, it, we're way behind. I think Spain is way behind Ireland in terms of um, the work and family balance. Um, there's no consideration for that at all. And it's really, really hard. To, yeah. If you're working until seven in the evening, what do you do with the kids? <laughs> you can't yeah. leave them on the side of the street. Um, so, so it'll be interesting to see how how things go. But I think until the thirtieth of September, many of us are still working at home, and then and then we'll see what happens.
Okay, Vivian, listen, thanks so much for joining us on the Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM this morning. Keep your comments coming in to us, 1557 to say with the money they are earning they should be able to afford a new outfit every day. Um, maybe they are able to afford a new outfit but it may not be very on trend. I don't know. Um, what, what do you think? 1850-715-996-083-396-96 Does it really matter what they wear? Um, in relation to my conversation with Maria about the homicidal hotline um, another caller has been in touch to say great listening to Maria. There is a big difference between homicidal ideation and acting on it ditto with suicidal ideation a helpline could be really helpful the lines are live and we're ready to talk can we just talk Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Fiona Corcoran in for PJ Coogan for this final hour of Monday's Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Now we were talking earlier about that article about the clothes that the female politicians were wearing at the Fianna Fáil Parliamentary Thinking Party and Taoiseach Micheál Martin did weigh in on the, the Twitter sphere um, yesterday. He said, why the need for such a personal, nasty and unkind article? An article written in an attempt to demean women who take politics seriously and work hard to make people's lives better. And um, a caller has been in touch to say this article from yesterday's Irish Mail on Sunday causing furore. Isn't it trite, though, when you consider the treatment meted out to female members of our so-called defence forces? But the Taoiseach is not tweeting and firing up the mass outrage machine about that. Keep your comments coming into us on this or any of the other topics that we've been discussing on the opinion line this morning. 1850-715-996-083-396-9696. Now, we're all familiar here in Cork with the two Norries podcast, but um, it seems now like it's going to be stretching way beyond Cork and indeed Ireland. And joining me now are Timmy Long and James Leonard. Good morning, guys. Morning, Congratulations. The Two Norries podcast um, has been launched on ACAST. That's right. It's big news for us because uh, ACAST is the biggest podcasting platform in the world and they don't just sign any podcasts. You know, there's so many podcasts around these days. You know, it's a mm. great medium for communication and, um, and for people to have their independent shows. So, you know, it's a great endorsement for us. And Timmy, why do you think that there has been such a great interest in the podcast? Um, I suppose a lot of people can relate to a lot of the stories that we have on this. You know, uh, it's, uh, with addiction and mental health, with, with everything that's gone on the last two years with COVID-19, mm. a lot of people have been struggling with their mental health. A lot of people have been over-drinking, over-using drugs in all these different areas. So a lot of people are kind of finding the podcast as, as a place where they can go to and get whatever information they need to be able to, to get the services that they require or whatever help they require, you know, to, to get a bit of help, really. 
And James, many of the guests that you've been speaking to on the podcast are giving very personal accounts of um, a very harrowing experience that they might have had. Uh, how important is it for you guys to build up a relationship with them beforehand? Well, some like the, the guy that we had on the most recent podcast there, Shawnee Kinsler from Ballymun. Hmm. We never met him, but we... We know his friend, you know, so that, that there's a bit of trust there. Yeah. But it is it is something that you have to be aware of. Like when we had a lady on give her experience of sexual assault, you know, it's very personal, it's very complex, and you have to treat it with great sensitivity. And we don't want anybody to, you know, be too vulnerable when they leave or maybe share stuff that they regret. So we always give people the option to review it and ask us to edit, make any edits. But in general, it's just a couple of phone calls, depending on the guest. If we're having a professional on our sports figure, maybe we, we might read read a book or watch some uh, podcast they did previously. But other than that, it's personal stories. We just do a couple of phone calls previous to the podcast. Because I suppose you're not um, asking people to come on the show to sensationalise their story or sensationalise what they've been through. It's more about um, allowing them to maybe find some sort of a way of healing through telling their story and maybe benefiting others. There's enough of media, mediums out there that do the sensationalising. You know, we're, we're not about that. That's not a dig at you, don't get me wrong. But there's, <laughs> there's enough of it out there. So we just we just want, like, like we did a podcast in Limerick Prison that will be out soon. So we didn't ask that lady about why she was in prison. Yeah. You know, she gives her context to where she grew up at the childhood, what it was like growing up. That enough in itself explains why she's in prison. So we're not interested in why she's in there. And then it's just about how you're trying to move away from that life, how you're trying to better your life so then the people that are watching that can identify with her might follow in her steps and access the same supports. And you've spoken in the past about getting it right and, and getting it right on the on the podcast. What do you mean by getting it right? Is that the, the, the right tone or the right guests or um, what's the concept behind that? Well, I suppose we don't want to bring on anybody and, and, and look like we're exploiting them, you know? So it's yeah. all, it's like, I suppose me and Timmy started this out, it was to help people, you know? It wasn't around fame or fortune, you know? Maybe we're getting a bit more well-known now, but the fortune mm. has yet to follow, so we have, we're still trying to find a way to convert the number of viewers into euros, but we're working on that. But it was always about, you know, keeping the integrity of who we are. Well, James and Timmy were in recovery, were from the north side. This is our story, and we try to give other people a platform to share their story because we know it can help and inspire others. So, once we stay true to that, but you know, the ACAST is big for us, you know. But always, like when we go back and when we're talking about kind of progressing and expanding and becoming bigger, so always kind of stay true to the core values of why we started in the first place, you know. Do you think that that's why you've become so popular? Because, as you say there, that you're two guys from the north side who've documented your own experiences with addiction and mental health issues. And, you know, you've come out the other side and you're using your own recovery success now as a, as a, as a tool, I suppose, to try and help others. And that people can relate to you because you are normal guys. I think the... the, the I suppose the best thing about the podcast is the relatability of us. Like, we're just two working class men, you know, mm. like thousands of others in the city. And it's just, uh, like, we're not journalists. We have no training in media. So we're just, we are who we are. We don't try to be anything else. Sometimes we get cough awards. Sometimes we don't know what we're saying. Sometimes we don't have the widest vocabulary, like Russell Brand or somebody like that. Yeah. But we don't, we don't try to be anything other than what we are, which is just two fellas 
try to do all things, you know, so people appreciate the honesty and the authenticity of it. And do you think that that's going to appeal to a wider network now that you're you're on ACAST and that you're going beyond Cork? Well, when we were looking at the statistics, and I leave Timmy come in there, but yeah. when we're looking at the statistics, 50% of the people that access our podcast are actually based in Dublin, and only 15% are based in Cork. So we're actually bigger outside of Cork than we originally thought. <laughs> but the ACAST will help us maybe progress outside of Ireland. And Timmy, um, do you know? Do you find it motivating, and does it keep you going? That you know that you are helping people outside of Cork as well. Well, helping people in Cork as well, but that your appeal is greater than just what you're, you're having, but that what you have here in the in in the city and in the county. Um, it, it's just easy for us to do it. All we really do, like I, I wouldn't be very academic. I would usually get stuck for words. Sometimes I maybe lose my toss during a podcast or whatever. Mm. But it just that's that just shows that we're authentic and raw, you know, and a lot of people can relate to that, especially people coming from addiction. You know, people that have a lot maybe have had problems with education and and, and things like that. So like it, it, it's definitely hit the nerve with a lot of working class areas, you know, particularly people that are very uneducated. And they see somebody like me then who who, who came from um, getting an education at 32 in prison, you know, it, a lot of people can relate to that, you know. I, I wouldn't be your probably, you know, your academic person like James, you know, James would be very academic. Mm. But with me, it's more kind of the emotional side I kind of connect a little bit more in that way and you know I, I think there's a lot of people out there particularly men you know like I come from the construction industry as well and and it's, it's a very very masculine uh, mm. uh, workforce and, and, and by showing fellas within the construction industry it's okay as well to to not to show a softer side yeah. we always don't have to, to be the big men that we always act to be need to think we have to be you know it's yeah. And, and it's okay to ask for a bit of help as well when somebody's struggling with their mental health or maybe struggling with some form of addiction, you know. And and, and that's what we try to do, you know. It's like for me, it's it's. I just enjoy doing it. I, I enjoy listening to people's stories and being able to relate to them, you know, and, and to be able to talk to them and and make sure that we're there for them and let them know during the podcast that they're actually not on their own, you know. There's other people like them and. Uh, every one of our guests gets fair. They get fair feedback from from our listeners, you know, and, and mm. that really helps them to grow as well. So it 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 is starting to grow, you know. It is definitely starting to grow for the right reasons as well, you know. And Timmy, when you started out the podcast, did you have any idea that it was going to have such an impact on people? No, jeez, no, and um, we didn't because it was. I never seen anything like this being done before. You know, two guys that have been to prison and they were addicted to drugs and alcohol most of their lives, you know, they go on and, and start a podcast. Um, i never seen anything like that before. And so we were jumping really into deep water, not knowing what way we were going to be reacted to by people mm. or anything like that. And we were probably full of fear at the beginning, you know, what kind of reaction we're going to get from people or, or communities or whatever, who read, who do who, who think they are and all this carry on. But the reasons behind this were completely, they were real, you know, there was no one looking for fame, 
you know, there was no one looking for finances or anything like that. It was just, we said we'd do it because there were so many people out there struggling with their mental health. And, and lot meetings, AA meetings and NA meetings and all the other meetings are, that are completely fantastic for helping people. A lot of people don't have the social skills to be able to go to meetings like that. And they use the podcast to just do it on a weekly basis to be able to help them whatever struggle they're having in their own life, you know? And, um, you know, you have a, a huge following here in Cork. Uh, Michael Cronin has been in touch on Twitter to say, I've been listening to the two Norries podcast since the very beginning and it's amazing. For me, it's like a weekly therapy session. Best of luck to the lads. Like, when you hear things like that from people, what what what, what do you think? What goes through your head? Well, we got, a, we got a letter in the post the other day, a card in the post the other day from a lady who had a miscarriage during lockdown. Oh, God, yeah. And she said she wouldn't have gotten through it only for the podcast weekly. No, that's huge. That's why we do it. So you know I mean, that's like if nobody listened but one person and they got something from it, we do it. But there's actually thousands of people listening to it, and loads of people getting using it as a support. Maybe people that we'll never hear from have been touched by it in some way. Mm-hmm. And it's all about the guests as well. It's like me, Sam, and Timmy. We facilitate people to come on. So it's all about the guests, and it's about creating an awareness, creating an education, trying to break through stigmas and signposts and show people that there's different ways to recover, there's different ways to bury yourself and this is one way, that's another and we you know, show people you know, that there's a note that there's light at the end of the tunnel and it helps them get through at hard times. You know? So we get comments from Michael and, and that, that lady who wrote in the crowd mm. every day of the week we get emails, mm. fan mail, everything you know, but it's always very positive. And James, when you started out the Two Norries podcast, did you think it was just going to be aimed at people getting over addiction and it's now grown, as you said, to so many different people who are maybe going through other hard times in their life? Exactly, yeah. Just after that with myself and Timmy giving our story and we said we'd focus on that and we'd had, in the early days, we had Sharon Lambert, the forensic psychologist, mm. who used to explaining trauma and addiction. We had John Lanagan, the former prison governor, we had Sheila Connolly who works in a charity for prisoners, but it quickly evolved into other social and health issues. And people were always like, oh, will you cover this topic, cover that topic? I have this guest that would be interesting. And like even the other day, we had the Donegal group, a, pe- a group in Donegal that's advocating on the Mika scandals and other homes mm-hmm. are coming around them. And they want us to you know, highlight that, mm-hmm. their, that their place on our podcast. So we're quickly becoming, it's not just addiction, mental health in prisons, it's, it's more like a, a social and health issue, so it's broader, which, which, which is great for us. And Timmy, now that's on ACAST, do you think that you'll be interviewing guests from all over the world? Will this be a chance for you guys to travel? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we get into the likes of Australia and America anyway, but to the records, like, but, um, not, but listen, if, if, if the opportunities come, we look at it and, and we'll do it, but um, as far as I'm concerned, we, we still have ground, being grounded and just keep constantly looking at who's, who the important ones are, which are our communities, the people within our communities, the people who really need us. That's where the main emphasis is with this, you know. Um, mm. We don't want to be going down the route of having these massive celebrity people and, and, you know, because a lot of our listeners won't be able to relate to their situations because a lot of them but has different storylines, so we need to really be authentic and, and, and just always keep 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 looking at where we started and the people we started with, you know, because they're the ones with the real inspirational stories because mm. they started off with nothing in life, you know what I mean? 
Well, Timmy and James, um, before I let you go there, I'm just going to read out this comment that has come into us. I love your podcast. You all help uh, so much. In fact, my son loves the two lads and he is 21. Lots of love coming in for Timmy Long and James Leonard of the two Norries. Best of luck, guys, with um, with regards to your podcast. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850-715-996. On Courts 96 FM. Now, um, we're all looking out the window today and it's quite uh, depressing weather. I think I've said that about three or four times already on the show. I'm really missing the summer. But we are coming into the, the darker evenings, the darker days. And, you know, I think there's that tendency to uh, go into hibernation mode when um, September kicks in. Laurel O'Connell, um, you've got some tips on how to start the darker months right. Good morning, Laura. Good morning, Fiona. How are you? <laughs> I'm very well. I'm very well. Yeah, Laura, I mean, like we're looking out today and it's just depressing out there. Um, but, you know, and I know that we have um, a long winter ahead of us. So what can we do to, to boost ourselves a bit and to look at it a little bit more positively, maybe? Sure. Well, it's all got to do with mindset and perspectives and taking note of the language and how we talk to ourselves and, you know, really sort of looking at the energy behind our intentions. So if we're going to go, oh, God, look at the weather today. Now, I will admit as well, when I pulled the curtains, I was like, oh, my God, here we go again. (laughs) So literally what I did this morning was put the kettle on, took the hoover out for five minutes. I stripped the bed. That is kind of the best way to kind of start on a morning like this is start yourself as you mean to go on. Otherwise, you're just going to languish in all of that kind of negativity. So by bit of activity, the house didn't really need to be cleaned, but I just hoovered the kitchen just yeah. to kind of physically and mentally shift, blow away those cobwebs and kind of set yourself upright. At least this evening, I'm going to be getting into freeing clash clean fresh bed sheets that feel good factor making sure I've got plenty of coffee on tap as well today (laughs) Um, and you know and it's even coming on here this morning puts a bit of a pep in my step so it's really trying to yeah so it's really trying to figure out okay it's going to be one of those days and we're going to have lots of these kind of days we're still in the midst of a pandemic we're all feeling meh and blah and it is going to have darker evenings but you know darker evenings means snuggle up with the fire on with it with a nice hot beverage or cuddling to someone you love or you know snuggle down with the pet And I don't know here, but do you notice how I reframe some of that language that Mm. I'm using? And that is what is so important because that's what is that's what feeds our energy. And it's that energy then really gets us to focus down on our intentions and how we're feeling. So if there was an award for moods for the year, languish is going to that is the mood with the award for during COVID and it's so important that we really kind of zone in on ourselves what is really going on here how am I really feeling what can I do about it and it's not a case of maybe oh I'm going to cut out all sugar going to cut out all alcohol I'm going to get more physically active I'm going to make more of an effort with this person that's way too many things Mm. to overload ourselves with during these times just pick one little thing each week and just set an intention for that week so maybe perhaps today it's to I don't know 
how we talk to ourselves. What words could I use instead of it's depressing, it's manky out there, it's yeah. meh out there. So it's kind of even th- those kind of little focuses switch that around this week and then next week maybe look at something to do with what you're eating put more colored food in or um it's well be mindful as well of who you hang around with during these times because energy management it's something that i harp on about Mm. it is so important during these times as well so having the chat with you this morning is boosting my energy (sighs) that will have an impact then on those that i get to meet with today and it's boosting my energy laura as well and if there's any of our listeners on the opinion line this morning who want to get in touch with any of their tips on how um, they're boosting their mood today, they can let us know on 0833 96 96 96. And Laura, do you know, like you were talking about, um, you know, languishing there. I mean, like if I wasn't working today, I think looking out the window, I would probably say to myself, right, the kids are in school. I'm just going to uh, lie on the couch, catch up with something on Netflix and eat a load of chocolate. But um, you're saying that that's not really the right way to start the week or to start the day, that you're better off just getting up and doing something productive like cleaning the house. Yeah, you know, and like what I did this morning, I didn't clean the house. I just took the hoover out for five minutes Mm. and I just quickly hoovered, you know, in and around the kitchen. I don't I'm not in the mood to clean a whole house on a Monday morning. Let's be honest about it. But it's when I saw the weather, it's like, okay, what will I do here? I'll strip the bed. I'll wash the sheets. I get the hoover out and then that kind of got me into the shower, a bit more of a pep in my step, a bit more productivity. It just gave me that another 5% that we could be lacking. There's nothing wrong with having a Netflix marathon. And if the kids are in school and you have peace and quiet, there's absolutely nothing wrong with putting your feet up, snuggling down and having that bar of chocolate. However, if you're to do that tomorrow and the day after and the day after that, that's where you've got to try to capture it. So it's equally as important that we recognise and acknowledge we're all exhausted at the moment. Mm. And there is, you know, we do want to reset and we do want to feel better and we do want to improve and have healthier habits. But when we talk like that, therein comes a lot more pressure. So it's just what's that one little thing that we can do? So enjoy your Netflix today. Put your feet up today. Well deserved. You've had the kids all weekend. And who knows, they could be home because they were close contact tomorrow or the week after next. So, you know, nourish as well that alone time and that peace and quiet. But if you have that day again tomorrow where the weather isn't so great, what could you do? So look ahead now to tomorrow. What could I do tomorrow to make sure I don't go back into my pajamas, that I don't go back in front of Netflix and try and break it up that way? Go out and walk in the rain, even feel the rain on your face. And it's just, you know, just for five minutes, just short, sharp little bits just to kind of get us to jazz up a little bit. And Laura, you were talking there about nourishing the mind. Um, Like a lot of us now, and whether we're aware of it or not, tend to go onto our phone and scroll through social media and you could lose an hour of your time before you even know it. Um, So do you think that we should maybe um, try and reduce the amount of time we spend on social media as part of our uh, September reboot? Yeah, I would be inclined to agree. I took two months off social media over the summer. 
and I've been very slow to get back to it. So it's even me acknowledging that. Why am I not rushing back to it? Why am I not putting myself under pressure? The thing is, during these times is if, if we're scrolling through it's going to be like a collective energy. We're just picking up on the shite that's up there, the negativity that's up there, all the talk about COVID. Then we go in and we start comparing ourselves to one another. Then we start the online shopping because something takes our fancy. Then we see an advertisement for a beautiful, crusty, fresh pizza and we're off. We're gone down into that sunken hole and before we know it, it takes. it's a bit harder than to kind of climb back out of it. So mm. I would would advise to really kind of limit and lower your time on social media during these times again just like you would socially that energy management be mindful of who you're following be mindful of what you enjoy what gives you a little bit of a, a boost or a bit of you know education or a bit of learning or a bit of factual information or just to watch pets or follow somebody in the Caribbean where it's beautiful and sunny and just kind of go fair play to you lucky buggers over there and we're here in the rain so it's just kind of really kind of reframing flipping it around to try to give us these feel-good factors without putting yourself under pressure to give you the feel-good factor because rest is important as well nourishment all of those good things as well Brilliant, Laura. Listen, thanks so much for all of that advice and tips. Hopefully our listeners find it a little bit um, that they can have a little bit of a, a tips on how to, to beat the depression from looking out the window today. Um, we were talking earlier about um, that article in the Irish Mail on Sunday that slated the female politicians at the... Fee- at the or Well, the, not just the female politicians. There was male um, politicians included, but I think it was mainly uh, geared towards the females at the Fianna Fáil Parliament thinking party and um, Minister Michael McGrath was asked about this by the Corks 96 FM reporter Mairead Tuig this morning and this is what he had to say I did read uh, as much of it as I could see I saw a, a picture of it tweeted and it was cropped at the side but having read what I read I didn't want to read any more to be perfectly honest and look, that has no place in uh, public discourse and particularly the focus that was placed on women I mean we have a problem in, in Ireland in getting more women into politics and in keeping the women that we have in politics to be frank about it and you know people's dress code their appearance uh, should have absolutely nothing to do with it and uh, all of the Fianna Fáil women who were featured uh, in that article that I read and uh, they all look stunning uh, at the thinking so it was like a ridiculous piece of journalism that I think was more about clickbait and getting us talking about it and from her perspective she's probably succeeded. Thank you very much for sending that in to us, Mairead. Uh, keep your comments coming in to us, 1850-715-996 or 0833-969696. Yesterday, um, a young woman from Cork um, embarked on a fundraising campaign to um, raise funds for MND. But she's also joining me now to talk about um, raising awareness of uh, MND. Good morning, Gemma Donegan. Good morning, Fiona. How are you? I'm very well. Gemma, your poor mum contracted MND and she passed away. Um, What kind of an impact did that have on you and your entire family? 
It was absolutely earth-shattering, Fiona. Do you know, my mum, she was only 58 when she was diagnosed, Claire Donegan. Mm. Um, and she was just you know, a month after her 59th birthday when she passed away. Mum was, you know, an avid gym goer, very healthy, very fit, mm. um, an amazing nurse, a mother, a friend, a wife. Um, and when she got her diagnosis, you know, a, a diagnosis of MD with no cause and no cure um, and the, the nature of the disease is it's progressively debilitating um, and ultimately terminal. Mm. So, you know, for her family, for us, it was just, it was absolutely devastating, devastating. And like there are currently over 400 people living with MND in Ireland. So there's presumably like 400 other families going through the same pain that your family had to go through. Exactly, exactly. There's over 400 in, in Ireland. There's actually 54 in Cork alone. Yeah. Um, so it's it's just, you know, and particularly down in Beldehab where we're from, um, mm. there, you know, it's it's really affected our community hugely. Um, for, for a family to try and get their heads around, it's just, it's so difficult. But for the individual themselves who are dealing daily with loss of function and, and ultimately, you know, that they won't be here, most likely the majority of MND sufferers aren't here in three years time, yeah. you know. So to be facing that, it's just, it's just really hard, you know, to get your head around, um, to deal with daily loss of function. You know, for my mother, it was huge for a woman who had been so strong and so independent. Mm. Um, and then to, to be facing this was just, it was so difficult for her to get through. But something that I would certainly say that we, we noticed as a family um, and for anybody else who's going through something similar is you're so much more than what you can do yeah. you know the essence of of a person and a pe- the essence of who you are is so much more than what you can do you know and it must be so difficult for you and and other family members to to watch somebody because it's, it's such a i think it's just such a cruel illness isn't it it's such a cruel condition because as you say it attacks um the the brain and the spinal cord and you know gradually it's a gradual progression where people exactly. you know they, they can't and, they, they and, lose the ability and, to walk and talk and Exactly. And in a lot of cases, it, it is quite rapid for some people. Mm. Um, you know, even though my, my mom passed away quite suddenly, uh, five months into her diagnosis, a lot of people suffer, you know, very end stage of this disease, which is, um, you know, muscle wasting and weakening, loss of speech, swallow, loss of voluntary movement, you know, um, mm. breathing function can be affected. Your emotions, the way that you actually think. Um, at times can be affected depending on, on the individual's diagnosis. And then just, you know, I suppose the, the no cause and no cure is just, you know, it's very, very difficult um, for people to to keep hope, you know, with, with that diagnosis. And I think that's where the IMNDA comes in um, and really, really helped us as well, which was the, the kind of the point of the fundraising that, that we carried out there on Saturday and that there's 133 entrants in the walk while you can um, challenge at the moment who are raising awareness and vital funds for the IMNDA. Um, so I suppose that that for us in the midst of mum's diagnosis, it was a huge source of hope and a huge source of joy to be able to be involved in something like this. And the IMNDA, they were able to give you, I suppose, advice and and support, uh, uh, you know, because I suppose yeah. like you don't really, you know, it's very difficult to try and talk about it, I'm assuming, to other people who haven't gone through it. So at least if there's a support there that, you know, that you have somebody that you can talk to. 
Exactly, exactly. So the IMNDA, um, they offered counselling grants, home care grants, equipment, and then most importantly, they had four IMNDA um, specialist nurses who travel countrywide to the, the sufferers of MND at the moment. Um, the, the fundraising that we did at the weekend was the Walk While You Can Challenge. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of it or mm. if any of the listeners have ever heard. It's um, originally Father Tony Coote, um, who was a sufferer of MND, had um, travelled in his wheelchair with a team from Letterkenny and Donegal down to Belde Hub, where I'm actually from, right. um, and where mom lived all her life. So it was very poignant for us that he had done this, you know, in the midst of his diagnosis and, and you know, faced this challenge to raise awareness and funds. The funds he actually raised, Fiona, ended up you know, hiring a fourth MND nurse. So in 2018, he hired, he, he created enough funds to actually hire the fourth nurse. That nurse actually came to our door two years later, you know, to offer us support. Mm -hmm. So it was very poignant and it was, you know, it just goes to show, you know, you never know how far something is from your own door, you know. And if anybody does want to support the cause or if anybody does need to get some information, um, do they just contact the IMNDA themselves? Is there a website or is there... Um yeah, yeah. So the, the IMNDA have their website um, and, and you can, you know, register with them. They'll offer you an information pack. And, you know, if it's something that you're experiencing yourself, you know, and reach out to them they're there, you know, and they're mm. amazing and they really helped mom, you know, post-diagnosis to, to kind of you know, remain living life to the full um, as she would have wanted, you know. Yeah. Thank you for coming on the air. It must be very difficult, I suppose, now to talk about it, but you're you're doing brilliantly in raising awareness oh, of it. <laughs> um, I, any, any, any chance to gush about my mother, I'm on the, I'm on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> what was she like? You were saying that she was an amazing woman. Oh, she was just fabulous. She was just one of those people who she was like sunshine personified. You just naturally gravitate towards her. Yeah. She was just an angel. One of those very special people. We were lucky to have her. And she's obviously passed it on to you as well because you sound uh, very bright as well. <laughs> Thanks, Fiona. And how many siblings have you got? I, I see. Have you got a brother? I have a brother and a sister. So my brother, Jason, um, my sister, Maria, and then my dad, Jimmy, are all flying the flag for the I'm in DA down in Belde Hub. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, listen, best of luck to you and all your family. And thanks very much for joining us on the Opinion Line this morning. That's Gemma Donegan. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. Fiona Corcoran in for PJ Coogan on this Monday morning. Now you heard in the news that there will be a decision made tomorrow on the America's Cup and whether or not Cork will be hosting that event um, and a listener has been in touch to say 150 million euro wasted on a billionaire's sport for Simon Coveney's ego and ambitions. He turned the sod on the Cork Event Centre five years ago, something that would bring long-term benefits to the heart of Cork and regenerate that area. Thank you for that listener. Now I'm not sure though if I agree with you, I think the America's Cup will bring a lot of business to Cork and a lot of uh, tourists to Cork and I was reading somewhere that it's one of the most watched sports so it's really putting Cork on the the world map so um, we'd be interested to see what other listeners think 1850 
Now, um, a lot of people now are obviously entering uh, third level education this week and um, a lot of CAO offers were made last week for people and we hear time and time again about women and um, not entering, you know, science subjects or engineering subjects and in particular um, space <laughs> subjects. Joining me now is um, writer and scientist and space explorer Dr. Neve Shaw. Good morning, Dr. Neve Shaw. Good morning, Fiona. How are you? I'm very well. I'm very well. Um, you're, I was reading through your um, press release earlier, and your yeah. um, your 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 ambitions and your academic uh, history are are unbelievable. <laughs> you've earned two engineering degrees and a PhD in science. You've hit yeah. a zero gravity flight. You've witnessed live launches and landings of astronaut crews. You've completed over yeah. 20 EVA hours as analogue astronaut at simulated Mars missions. You studied and lectured at ICU's Space Studies Programme and you created RT radio series Curious Humans. <laughs> Where did the whole interest in space come from? It was always there, um, always there. It was sort of the thing that kind of bound us together as a family. You know, the way every family has their shared interest. Ours was like space. We were mad mm. science fiction fans watching Doctor Who together and um, programs, science programs with David Attenborough. And then there was one called Cosmos by this cosmologist called Carl Sagan, who for people who, who are interested in space, they'd all go, oh, sure, Carl Sagan, yeah. <laughs> so it was there. But, but I think for me... Um, I never thought that I could possibly have a, a career in, in space because there was nobody in my direct line of sight that was that was involved in, in space. And so, you know, I didn't get to go to the Kennedy Space Centre. I know lots of people who work now at the European Space Agency and at NASA, and they would have written to astronauts or they would have written to somebody at NASA or ESA. And I, I guess without that path, it's sometimes difficult to see or imagine that that could possibly be your future. Mm. So it all... If it, it, interestingly in my life was that by pursuing the artistic part of myself, you know, the writer and the, and the performer kind of gave me a chance to sort of philosophize and wax lyrical about what science means to me. And out of that, making theatre shows and stuff, it dawned on me that the desire to go to space was actually something very real. And it wasn't it wasn't just a childhood dream. It was something that um, I still got really excited about. And I felt that um, in my career, combining, you know, art and and science, it was it was interesting to explore it. And so I started exploring it first artistically. But then the more I kind of started writing about it and writing plays about it, the more it actually became a reality. And I got, you know, involved more at the International Space University, which you mentioned there. And mm. I started meeting people, uh, astronauts and people working at the European Space Agency and NASA and different things. And nobody told me that, you know, go away, it's not possible. And my skills as a writer and as a communicator suddenly had currency and um, and a regard. And I was like, oh, my God, you know. And so now I'm, you know, a full-time communicator of science, but specifically in, in promoting space, uh, particularly to people who who are interested, you know, in the night sky and haven't connected that space is actually science. So it's kind of gone full circle for me. So I'm I'm very lucky. I'm very lucky. It was it's been a long road to figure out who I am and what I want to do. Mm. Maybe that's maybe that wasn't a bad thing, you know? Maybe it wasn't a bad thing. And is it still your life mission to get to space? It it is as a communicator. So it would have been, you know, as a kid it would have been like, oh I want to be an astronaut and yeah. having met astronauts and knowing 
how resilient they are, how incredibly, um, oh, they're just like, they're, they're just in, they're, they're you know, they are like the best at everything that they do, but they're also really decent human beings and they put up with so much and don't complain and don't moan. I, I think I want to go to space more as a flawed human than that mm. because I, I couldn't, I, I, I don't think I could work at the pace that they want. So what I, you know, what, what I'm trying to do and, and, um, and this is, you know, why the work I'm doing with Unpust is, is important is it really is a kind of an education coming at it from another angle is not coming from education from a school background, but from just conversations and, and, um, and life experiences and by sharing my life experiences. That's what the zero gravity flight was about and, and going to Mars and everything. If I can kind of explain them in a very kind of normal way, mm. what seems to happen is that people go, oh my gosh, and they start asking me really interesting questions that are very intelligent science questions because I've kind of taken away their perception uh, that it's science. That um, That's a skill that I think is is probably one of my strengths. And I'm starting to see that if I use that and I continue to talk to people, hopefully all around the world, that I learn the right to go to space as a communicator. That's that's the plan now. So it's not just about getting up there. Or being, yeah. It's actually using it for education purposes. You mentioned there about your work with Unpost. It's the Unpost yeah. Brain Busters National uh, Champions. Yeah. It's, it's a competition. Is that right? It's open to students. Yeah, it's a challenge um, across the country, and it's it's a it's something that I've been involved in with a mathematician uh, Finn McLeod and and a writer um, Oshin and putting together uh, really interesting games and logical puzzles and visual cues and stuff to uh, test. Uh, primary and first and secondary secondary school students on their numeracy and literacy skills. So it is a challenge and it's going to be like a final um, uh, in spring next year. And um, the packs, the information packs and everything are being sent out to schools right now. And and I think 20 schools are going to be selected from this initial kind of call. And as long as people get their entries in by the 17th of November, they can win a thousand euro plus a weekend break for the teacher involved. Brilliant. It's, 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 uh, it's produced in, in partnership with the INTO which is the, which is the teachers union so it's a perfect fit for me and I'm I'm so proud that they asked me to kind of be the spokesperson for them and to kind of talk to you today about it because I was inherently involved in in um, in the creation of it in the first place and it matches exactly kind mm. of why I love space. it's it's about kind of spreading the love about um about science and literacy and numeracy which is really what what what, what all curiosity is about you know and Dr. Neusha, obviously we've made great progress with regards to uh, young women and young female students yeah. entering the STEAM yeah. subjects like science, technology, engineering, maths. But do you think we're still a long way off achieving what we need to? Well, the, the numbers would tell you, you know, I mean, ideally we're looking for parity, which is where, where there is no difference, you know, where, you know, you have the same number of women as men taking up all sorts of careers across the sciences. But we're not we're not there yet. We're kind of on about 35 percent. And then there are pay there are pay challenges around that. So we still have a long way to go. And, mm. and um, I think uh you know, when when I look at it, and I've been, you know, I've I've recently completed a, a course in in Cambridge on on science communicating because I really wanted to get, I really wanted to understand why some people take up careers in science and others don't, and yet they were perfectly good at it in primary school. And it's it's not even just women in STEM anymore, Fiona. It's all minorities, you know, uh, not not taking up careers in STEM, and it's about. Um, 
they, they have this theory, the sociologists have come up with this theory called science capital. And I, and I think it's, I think there's something in it. And, and they basically say that, you know, um, your schooling is only one part of what informs you about what your future looks like. So we all kind of create a version of reality. And that's informed by the people we love, the people around us, the books we read, the programs we watch, um, who our role models are. So as a society, we all have a responsibility to bring science into the everyday and to make it part of everyday life and programs and books so that a scientist isn't something other and um, or an engineer or or an astronaut, you know, and it's it's why I didn't why I didn't apply to be an astronaut because they weren't in my line of sight, even though I grew up in a house where we were encouraged all the time to be curious. So science capital is about having a number of influences from a number of different sources be in your formative years. And by having that, you don't see the challenge of being a woman in STEM or being in a minority, uh, in some sort of minority in STEM. And that's that's important. And so Brilliant. all of us are role models for everybody all the time. Dr. Neve Shaw, thank you very much for joining us on the Opinion Line. Before I let you go, Nick has been in touch um, about positivity and he says, positive thought for today. It's raining, so I don't have to tidy and I don't have to de-head the garden. Thank you very much for that, Nick. And thank you very much for listening and thanks to the team, Fergal Barry, Katie O'Keefe and Wayne Hilton. PJ will be back tomorrow. Enjoy the rest of your day.